we've lost it we've lost it we've officially lost it thank you everyone we haven't had one drink i just want all of you all of you to know emma are in separate houses with no wine we're just not, our, not our usual style let's face it not, <laughs> not our usual emma we're just drunk on elections <laughs> Welcome to Democratically 2020, the podcast all about the politics, policies, and personalities of the US election happening tomorrow. I'm your host, Karen Robinson. So welcome to this very final pre-election ah, <laughs> episode of Democratically 2020. This is the last time you will hear my voice unless you are a friend and immediate family of mine. <laughs> <laughs> before um, before Tuesday's election. I was going to say before the result of Tuesday's election, but of course that could be weeks or months ahead. Um, Emma, how are you feeling as we face down the final curtain? So I wrote a piece um, that I think is going out tomorrow about what Keir Starmer could learn from Joe Biden. And I was like, I don't want to be writing this now because it feels so presumptuous. <laughs> I know. And like, and I wrote in the piece, look, my logical brain knows that Joe Biden is quite far ahead. He's ahead in all the polls, in all the states that he needs. Um, there are very few undecideds left. So even if the undecideds break for Trump, it's probably not enough. And my heart is just going, and I yeah. just, I cannot, I, I, I just can't let myself believe too much because well, because I went through 2016 and, and, and I never want to go through that again. It's really fascinating. I was thinking about it today. I was doing a little exercise of sort of sitting down and examining my feelings and trying to kind of understand where they're coming from. And you're absolutely right. It's fascinating because if you had told me in any other presidential election that the Democratic candidate was as far ahead as Joe Biden is, both in the national polls, but also in the state polls, I would have been really happy and very confident of the election. And yet I'm not feeling that this year. And I think there are kind of, there's a rational and an irrational reason for that, right? So the irrational reason you've just alluded to. In 2016, we all expected a Clinton win. I think even Trump expected a Clinton win. We didn't get it. And I think we're very, very afraid to believe um, and, and, and just can't face the prospect of that letdown again. Um, and that's irrational. I mean, it's logical in a weird sort of way, but not rational. <laughs> like you can see how we got there. Yeah. But then the, the rational reason, and this is what I keep coming back to again and again, the rational reason to be concerned um, and the logical reason to be concerned is that um, this is an election with certain types of uncertainty that we haven't seen before in our lifetimes. We've never seen a pandemic election. It's hard to know how that's gonna influence things. The Biden campaign was unable to run the kind of get out the vote operation that Democratic campaigns usually run. We don't necessarily know what that means for the outcome of the election. Um, you know, the only people who are having fun this year are political scientists, because um, from a political science point of view, this is kind of the thing that poli sci is always trying to test, right? How much of an impact does grassroots activism have on a campaign? How much of an influence does money have? How much does an influence do, do, does candidate quality have? And they're having a lot of opportunities to test some of those theories this year. Um, but I would rather that, you know, the, the, the ongoing health of my democracy was not based on um, an experiment. Well, I and, mean, to be fair, the whole thing's an experiment. The country's an mm, experiment. It um, always has been, yeah. An experiment. That, that is, but, 
I, I mean, I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, I think, you know, it's 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 really tricky because the stakes feel very high. Um, and Nate, so Nate Silver is 538, which is, um, you know, a go to source for me. And I know many, many, many political junkies and weirdly obsessive people like me. One of the things that I put in my piece was um, that we're hanging on the tweet of various Nates. <laughs> All the Nates. All Help the me, Nate. Nate. Save me, Nate. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Nate, Nate Silver's forecast currently shows Biden with a 90% chance of victory, which means about a one in a 10, one in 10 chance of, of Trump victory. And on the one hand, that's, that's good numbers. Like, I think it's hard to imagine a credible scenario in which anyone could have much better than 90% chance of election. But, but one in 10 chance, considering what the implications of a Trump second term would be, feels really scary. It feels like our institutions are barely holding on by a thread. It feels like the court system will be lost for a generation, not just to Democrats, but to, de to democratic principles. You know, there's a, there's a real terrifying uh, rightward trend in the judiciary. Um, Trump has appointed people who seem to be hell-bent on dismantling institutions, everything from the Postal Service to the <laughs> Institutes of Statecraft across the State Department to, um, you know, the CDC, um, you know, all of the things that have kept the um, American government just not at a political level, but just at a functional level working are threatened and would get worse in a second term. And, and the man has no self-control. <laughs> Yeah. So um, it feels scary. It it is scary because the odds are um, the odds are good, but the stakes are high. Yeah. You know the stakes are so high. Democracy is on the ballot. You know, yeah. and I just when he won in an aberration, if it was an aberration, you could kind of tell yourself it's an aberration. Yeah. If that gets reaffirmed, that says things about America and the world that are so terrifying mm. and so upsetting for people like me who love America and for people like you who are American. Um, it, it, it just doesn't really bear thinking about um, it. You know, there are so and, and these these things are existential. Let's not pretend that they're not because we are talking about whether we deal with climate change. Yeah. This is our last possible chance to do anything about climate change. Um, and he won. No, no. I mean, yeah, it does feel on many, on many different axes as if this is our last chance, right? Last... <laughs> I know we normally sing uh, sing Hamilton at each other. Do you know what I've had in my head? I've had last uh, no sleep till Brooklyn. <laughs> no sleep till You're Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> it just I, feels. I, I just I'm just very much hoping that um, that on Wednesday we can say to Donald Trump, "You don't got the votes. You don't got the votes." <laughs> Never gonna be president now. Yeah. <laughs> But I keep, it just feels like last exit, right? It feels like the last, the last stop. And, and it feels like, you know, Joe Biden's win is not the end by any means. It's, you know, what is the Churchill, the Churchill speech where he talks about, this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. It kind of feels like a Biden win 
on a you know on on election day would be the end of the beginning and a trump win would be the beginning of the end yeah i think that's a really good way of putting it right so that's a lot of work to be done whoever you know whoever wins there's a lot of work to be done there's a lot of work to be done exactly um so so let's talk about election night and what we expect to happen on on that occasion um because um, we you know, obviously, I think we've talked plenty of times before in this podcast about the fact that it is very likely that we will not have an outcome. So it is very unlikely that on November third, or in our case, the early small we small hours of November fourth, um, in the morning, it's very unlikely that any candidate will have two hundred and seventy votes on that night. Um, having said that, there are scenarios by which it could be very clear to us what the outcome is. Most of those scenarios are scenarios in which Biden looks likely to win, because the scenarios where Trump is likely to win probably would take more time to come clear as well. But um, if Biden, I mean, so the, the easy one is, if we win Florida by a clear margin, we can all just take a deep breath and the rest of it's just all fun and games, right? Then you can sort of go into a fairly normal election mode and just kiss it back and watch the other states come through because it doesn't matter that much what happens after that. It's hard to see many scenarios in which um, in which Trump wins without winning Florida and Florida will count their votes early. So Florida has already started processing its absentee ballots. And in fact, it reports absentee vote before it reports, it reports its election day votes, which is very good for Democrats because those votes are likely to swing our way, which means it's going to be hard for Trump to claim an early lead um, in the election day votes because that's just not the order things go in. So that's that's the dream scenario. Another important state that votes, um, that reports its vote early is North Carolina, um, which again, it's very hard to see a scenario by which Trump takes the presidency without North Carolina. Um, and it's a really close state. Um, and so, you know, again, a, a North Carolina, Florida outcome would be fantastic. I've been to North Carolina. I went to spend a weekend watching participatory budgeting in Charlotte because that's the kind of crazy gal I am. Sexy fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful state. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And the people are so lovely. And it's got that fascinating sort of sense of where it being exactly where the North meets the South. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, yeah. It, so, and I think that really shows in its politics, doesn't it? <laughs> it really is. I see. I have a funny sort of feeling about North Carolina. I have a really anxious pessimistic feeling about florida just because florida always lets us down yeah florida is gonna florida man <laughs> florida gonna florida um you know i you know my mom lives in florida i feel like the senior vote there we've seen a lot of evidence that seniors um are are turning against the president which is great but weirdly the hispanic vote in florida is leaning a little bit more trumpy even than it did in 2016 um, so it's kind of hard to judge where that's going to play out. And then there's a big question of turnout. So Florida is really not the state ideally you want to rely on. North Carolina, I feel funny about because it feels to me like even though it's nominally slightly more Republican leaning than Florida, I also feel like it's on a trajectory, which is ever, ever more slightly more democratic. And it feels like North Carolina feels a little bit like in the Virginia territory. Virginia, a few election cycles ago, flipped to Democrat and kind of hasn't really looked back. Mm. And North Carolina feels a little more like that to me than like Florida, which is just a perpetual flip state. Um, so yeah, so that's 
potentially good news um, if something goes right there. And you need a sort of a belt term for these northern southern states that are kind of changing. Mm. So places like Georgia, North Carolina, and Virginia is is now sort of permanently part of that. Um, and the there, there isn't like a rust belt or um, <laughs> you know, or sun belt, uh, but there definitely needs to be a kind of blue belt. <laughs> um, but I think it's, yeah, it's, it, it, there's so much interesting change happening in some of those communities and they really are kind of um, becoming more Democrat quite rapidly. Um, you know, the, the, the large urban centres in them are kind of spreading, I guess, and the, so, and the suburbs are changing. Uh, and this yep. is what I think the Trump campaign really hasn't kind of got its head around, is that the suburbs aren't the suburbs he thinks he's campaigning to. No, absolutely. Well, the suburbs have changed a lot, um, for sure. And, and in, you know, in ways that mostly, no, don't just mostly benefit Democrats, but Democrat, but vaguely just represent a more diverse country um, than, yeah. than Trump is used to being in. And, and a patchworky America, um, yeah. I guess. Um, and, you know, you look at Texas. Texas is, you know, in the imagination, Texas is redneck Republican, cowboys, J.R. Ewing, Sue Ellen Ewing, Bobby <laughs> Ewing. Um, but actually texas is also the south by southwest festival and um you know the, the really kind of um progressive cities uh, around austin and stuff and you know that there is there is a lot more pockets of america that are so completely diverse and we just kind of tend to think of it in this really red and blue way and yeah you know, and obviously now I'm just channeling 2004 Obama. Um, <laughs> yeah, Red I think states and blue states, but we worship an awesome God in the blue states and we don't like federal agents poking around in our libraries in the red states. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's um, Obama. Uh, but I do think it's worth remembering. And I think America, what, what I've been really impressed with in Biden's campaign is that he is campaigning to unite America. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna be easy. Um, and there's going to be people who really, really resist him. But I do feel like the vast majority will be kind of like, OK, we've got a result. You know, if Biden wins, um, we've got a result. We've got a president. We've got some normalcy. Let's deal mm. with the virus and come together. Yeah. Yeah. And Biden is competing in places where Democrats haven't competed in a long time. I mean, you did mention Texas. Texas is is close. Um, it looks like it's a projected uh, pro Trump is projected to win about 50.4 percent of the vote to Biden's 48.6. That's really close. Yeah. That's the kind of difference that you can change based on turnout. Um, and early turnout in Texas has been really high. Um, Iowa has been really close. Um, and Iowa is a state that after Obama won it in 2008, kind of felt like it was slipping away from Democrats, but we're competing there. South Carolina, we're competing in. Montana, bizarrely enough, is competitive. Um, and we have a competitive Senate you think race there as well. Maybe, could well be. I mean, Steve, well, Steve Bullock is well regarded in that state. Um, he's on the ballot this year. Um, so maybe he's driving some, some, some turnout. Maybe he's driving some enthusiasm. Uh, who knows? Um, it's not a guarantee by any means that he'll win that, that he'll win his Senate election, but he's, uh, he's certainly bringing people to the polls, which is fantastic. I think the one state that a lot of people, including myself, are most nervous about is Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is an election night nightmare for Democrats and for anyone, actually, for America. 
because uh, Pennsylvania is likely to be very slow in counting its vote. Um, it's already made clear that a lot, some of its counties won't even be trying to report election night results on the night. Um, they'll, they'll basically pick up the voting, especially absentee ballot voting, um, the following day. Um, and there are some, you know, so there are, you've got a few days after election day that you can still send your ballot. Um, so your ballot has to be postmarked by election day, but it can be received up to three days afterwards. So they won't count absentee ballots until all those are in, which makes things again, slow, a little bit slow. And again, skews towards election day vote, probably looking more Trumpy. Um, and, you know, so, so generally Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania has been closer than many expected it to be. It's actually certainly a lot closer than I expected it to be. Michigan and Wisconsin are looking less tight this year by a good margin than Pennsylvania, which has been clearly showing Trump, Trump, Trump margins, but I'm sorry, Biden margins, but not by the same amount as, as Wisconsin and Michigan, which I think is a little different than what what I certainly expected, um, given you know Biden has has roots in Pennsylvania, is historically not been a state that's um, that's that's been as as Republican leaning recently as Wisconsin, but Wisconsin seems pretty safe for Biden right now. So it's hard to know what to make about that. But Pennsylvania haunts my dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Pennsylvania, and everyone's calling Pennsylvania, you know, the tipping point state. Yeah, um, it may or may not be on the night, but yeah, it, it is absolutely the one that keeps you awake at night um and i guess a lot of people in rural pennsylvania are nervous about sort of moving away from fracking and coal mining and um so that's probably what's keeping it so tight and trump has been bombarding that state i mean he did three rallies there um this weekend with you know big turnout of course biden has been and this comes back to what I was saying earlier about running a COVID election makes everything harder. And, and it's like, we've got one hand tied behind our back because Trump is not taking any precautions. And a study just came out saying that likely, according to the study, it looks like likely about 30,000 people um, have contracted COVID at Trump rallies, just the Trump rallies that were studied in this study, I think about 19 Trump rallies. So not including the ones we're talking about now. About about of those 30,000, they're estimating about 700 probably died directly as a result of, of the disease that they contracted there. The Biden campaign is going out of its way to not do that, right? They're just trying to keep people safe and healthy. And that's the right thing to do. But it does mean that they're that, you know, as it as in many things, Democrats have to work extra hard with extra disadvantages to just get the same outcome as, as Republicans. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, yeah. it's so, it's so, I just, I just, I mean, <clears throat> killing your actual supporters. <laughs> weird, weird, weird strategy. Yeah, it's, he's fine with it as long as they vote first. Oh dear. Yeah, so yeah, it ain't great. <laughs> um, So election night, election night, look, bottom line, don't hold your horses, you know, like don't, don't hold your breath. <laughs> don't expect an outcome necessarily. Unless Florida doesn't Florida. Um, yeah. And we won't really know anything on election night. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's, it's important to just get our, get our heads around the fact that we're not expecting an outcome. Um, and that's okay. Like it has to be okay. Um, what Trump people are going to do, I cannot begin to guess. And, you know, obviously I, I am worried about the behavior of his supporters who have been prone to violence and well-armed. So um, that's something that people I think are understandably concerned about. Um, it's probably worth just, just thinking a little bit about kind of what to do about that. 
um, because it's obviously it's it's something scary that people are confronting and i hear a lot of concerns from people about the prospect of america plunging into civil war um and that kind of thing is it, it's it's off-putting it's terrifying and it can prevent people from going to the polls so it's hard to know what to tell people yeah um i think we need to be both honest and encouraging um, you know, your vote is your power, your vote matters. You've got to get your vote in, in order to make sure that we never live through these scenarios again. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, they are real. There are, there is a lot of intimidation and, um, you know, even if when there isn't an intimidation, there's voter suppression done through just making it really bloody awful to vote. I mean, eight, nobody should have to queue eight hours to vote. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, you think about voting over here and I'm literally just whizzing and out of the voting station. <laughs> five minutes. And that most of that is double checking. I've put my ex against the right party. <laughs> yeah, for, for the benefit of my American listeners, I can confirm as a dual national, a relatively recent uh, UK dual national, it's easy to vote here. Like it works so well. You, 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 I've never tiny wards so you yeah. you know you never have to walk the walk more than five minutes to get to your polling station yep it's always right around the corner it's whatever is the nearest public building to you like your local school your local whatever it's there you go in you vote you, there's never a queue Pal the ballots are pretty simple and you're in you're out it's great it feels great yeah. <laughs> this and could you be don't have to produce any id because you just um you have a card that comes to you with your voting your polling number on it but if you don't have it you just go and tell them your address yeah Absolutely. So I think it's good news for us that um, that so many Americans have decided to vote early. And I think one of the reasons driving that probably has been concern about um, intimidation and suppression at the polling place. Um, and I think, you know, that it's hard to know what to tell people because the truth is that until this election, Republicans have been banned by law from conducting certain types of voter suppression at polling places. Um, they were under consent degree since the 1980s, forbidding them from um, doing what they what they something they did in the 80s, which was they kind of got some armed civilians together, proclaiming themselves to be the ballot some sort of ballot protection force, and they put signs up in black neighborhoods saying warning voting fraudulently voting is a crime and kind of we're watching you um and that consent decree had been in place against the republican party since the 80s and it was um it was overthrown by a court judgment in i think 2018 so this is the first presidential election under which we're operating with the republican party free to do this kind of borderline incitement to violence, um, voter suppression activity around polling places. So um, yeah, it's it's not gonna be fun going to the polls this year. <laughs> I don't think in a lot of places. No, but it's worth saying to anyone who has a vote in America, um, do not mail your ballot in now. It will right. not get there in time. Um, take it to a drop box, take it to your county uh, elections office or go to the poll on the day. But you do not vote by mail now. <clears throat> exactly right. If you have an absentee ballot, drop it off. Do not put it in the post. 
for sure. If you know someone who hasn't cast their ballot yet, um, please, now's a great time to get in touch with all your family and friends and check what their voting plan is. Um, do they need a ride to the polls? Um, they might feel safer, they might feel happier going with you than they would feel going alone. Um, if they, you know, if they don't want to do that, that's fine, but talk to people about what their plan is. Um, there's a lot of evidence that suggests if people are forced to talk out loud and kind of actively think through what their plan is, they're much more likely to actually vote. You know, a lot of people might be thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely get around to it on election day, but then they wake up, they, you know, they're running late for work, they think, oh, I'll vote after, after, after work, then they've got, you know, oh, something, I've got a little bit of extra work to do, oh, there's traffic. It's very easy, even with the best of intentions, to find your day getting ahead of you. So um, a clear voting plan and a kind of run through of how your day is going to work if you are planning to vote on the day is great. So call your friends and family and do that or join a phone bank. Um, most state democratic parties are running virtual phone banks where anybody can log in um, and can can help get out the vote. Democrats abroad have been running phone banks, but it's, you know, and, and we have last minute voters that we're trying to get out. But to be honest, we are hitting all of our targets for getting our ballots in. Um, so so we, we, we have almost no one left to call because because we've, you know, everyone's already been uh, been amazing about getting their ballots in early this year. So, um, you know, I mean, the, the Republican Party is trying to make you as afraid as possible and Democrats want you to feel hopeful um, and and, you know, hope, fear. It's 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 all both. Both are with us. Right. I mean, I think, yeah. Um, and but to be honest, <clears throat> this is the year of fear. Yeah. Um, and I think that Democrats don't need to make you afraid of Trump because you're afraid of the virus and you know that Trump is failing on it. Yeah. Um, and even Trump supporters don't think he's doing a great job on the virus. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely right. He's well, uh, he's pretend it's all over, but of course, you know, you're, you're actually reaching record peaks. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's the thing. The virus, the virus is one of the reasons I think why people aren't able to feel as hopeful as this about this election as, as they would like to, even if, even if they feel their prospects are good, which is just that life is really grim and hard. And even, even with the right president, um, it's still going to be difficult. You know, we've still got a lot to get through, um, but it will be, it will feel amazing to wake up with a good result when we've got clarity, when we've got certainty, like I do cling to how how wonderful that will be, um, but it's just hard to visualize it because it everything feels so chaotic and horrible right now. Can I can I read you something that has been like laceratingly painful for me to read? Okay. <laughs> I have on Tuesday the eighth of November two thousand sixteen. I wrote a post on election day 2016 on my then blog, my Obama London blog. And um, I've read it back the, the last couple of days and it just like hurts me <laughs> so much. Um, but at the same time, it also feels really resonant. So I wrote the title of the blog post is hope is a choice. And it starts out, I don't know about you, but I have not been enjoying 2016 so far. <laughs> It's been a pretty hard slog for me personally and professionally. My husband and I have both had some health problems. Don't worry, we're okay. My grandmother died. Here in the UK, people voted narrowly to leave the European Union, which actually affects me a fair amount since I've been living here since 1999 under my husband's EU treaty rights. 
And of course, there's been the U.S. election, which has felt like a, like slogging grimly uphill through a thicket of brambles while being repeatedly punched in the face. If I made the mistake of turning on the news, odds were good that I would be watching violence break out at a political rally in America. All over social media, I was watching minority groups be attacked, called rapists, being threatened with banning from even entering the country based on their faith. In America. If I read a newspaper, I, I might be reading about the possibility that one of the major party candidates was being directly supported by a totalitarian out of Russia. In America. And then I see that the Ku Klux Klan has openly and excitedly come out in support of one of the candidates embracing his slogan as their own. Ah, yes, in America, in 2016 America. And the things we do to women. I've had to listen over and over again to one of the candidates talk about how he likes to sexually assault women. I've had to listen over and over again to insulting, demeaning, and outright cruel things said to and about women by one of the candidates, his words blown up so large and playing on repeat so often that these insults overwhelm any words that have ever been spoken by the other candidate, the other candidate who is a woman. And then I go on to talk a little bit about Hillary Clinton um, and so forth. Um, but then the final couple of paragraphs I just want to read to you. Today, I have realized that we do not have to feel this way. It is up to us whether we spend time with the ignorant bully who doesn't believe our country is great or with the smart, hardworking woman who knows that when we work together, all things are possible. It is our choice. As Americans go to the polls today, I'm putting aside my anxiety and choosing to feel the love and admiration that I have for the American people who I know to be decent, kind and inclusive people. Republicans, Democrat, or Independent, I know that we are a nation of people who pitch in when our neighbor needs hands, needs a hand, people with passion for fairness and justice, people who are full of optimism and belief in our future. Today, I choose to feel hopeful because I'm so excited that starting tomorrow, we can put away all this ugliness and we can get to work. Just imagine it. So um, that was what I wrote in 2016. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm <really> crying. <laughs> It's horrible, isn't it? Like that's, oh, I just imagine the world in which that would have been true. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And that's the thing. And that's the situation I just, I was describing of how awful I felt in 2016 in the run up to the election, how miserable everything was, how grim. That's been the last four years. That's our yeah. life. That's what we've been living through. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sick of it. <laughs> yeah. It's just so, so vile. Um, and I just think, again, I go back to what I think the Biden campaign has done right, which is just make a decent man the centerpiece and, not, decency. and, and not get down in the dirt. Yeah. You know, they yeah. haven't gone there, however tempted everyone is. They haven't gone there. They didn't, you know, he didn't go after Trump's kids, even though Trump was on stage, you know, slagging off his dead son. Um, you know, he didn't... Um, and, and I just think that that's the contrast again, isn't it? Um, decency is, is, you know, and, you know, there used to be decency in the Republican Party, but where has it gone? Mm. Um, and Trump you just turns everything he touches to shit. Everything yeah, Trump touches Trump becomes a crap. Of where the Republicans have ended up, not the cause. Mm. Um, you know, I, this has been going on. I mean, I've, I've said this on this podcast before, this has been going on since at least Newt Greenwich. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, and you, and you think, think back to Nixon, Nixon 
left office because the Republicans would have impeached him. Mm. That's the difference. Yep. Yeah, I mean, today today's Republican Party is Nixon's Republican Party, right? It's it's like Trump is more of a celebrity and more of a pop culture icon than Richard Nixon ever managed to be. And, you know, if so, if you take that toxic stew of Nixon's, you know, a Nixon, like Richard Nixon was a, a person who cared about public life. Like he was kind of a crook, but he also was interested in government policy. Like he was, you know, (laughs) Oh my God, I'm defending Richard Nixon. Never mind. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like Donald Trump just doesn't care. It, it, like it's, it, there's a lot of malice, but there's also a lot of apathy. Nixon wanted power. Trump's just a nihilist. Yeah. Yeah. Trump, Trump doesn't even want, yeah, it's true. He doesn't really want power. He wants fame, not power. He He's wants fame, um, but it doesn't seem to make him happy. He won't, you know, he, he's, he still feels like the victim and he's the most powerful man in the world and the most famous man in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. It is classic narcissistic personality disorder. Narcissists can never be satisfied because there is no amount of adulation that is enough to make them happy. It's classic. <laughs> so yeah, this broken man and this good man and between the two of them, um, somehow <laughs> we're battling it out. I mean, God, I can't wait until it's all over. I really, really can't. I'm just constantly on edge. And it's not even my bloody country. But I mean, it's in my bloody world. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I've obviously got a bit invested in this being on your podcast for the millionth time. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the thing. I mean, uh, the people in America don't necessarily always appreciate how much American leadership matters to everyone. Um, we've been absent from the world stage. We have not been taking, we have not been playing our traditional role in international politics. No, I mean, you've been playing some of your traditional role. Let's not get overblown with how- Just the bad bits. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, you're still hanging out with dictators and, you know, um, the Saudis are still your bezies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but we used to be vaguely embarrassed about it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well that's all right then <laughs> that's fine <laughs> yeah <sighs> emma shall we play the gut check game let's oh one last time one last one last, one last time, time. <laughs> one last hamilton shout out as well right um i have in front of me some bits of paper and actually i've separated them into two piles i've got a pile of things that make me feel hopeful and a pile of things that make me feel fearful would you like to start with something that makes me feel hopeful or something that makes me feel fearful let's start with fear and move to hope as we right actually of america will be (laughs) right okay so here is my first fear um that we can talk about what this so each one is a fact and then we'll just talk about what we think that fact means the usually reliable seltzer poll of iowa shows a significant swing away from biden and away from the democratic senate senate candidate Teresa greenfield it shows trump leading 48 to 41 compared to the september poll which had a 47 47 tie okay um i mean iowa isn't essential yep true um, I mean, it would be nice to win it. It'd be good to get another Senate seat. But, um, and 
I mean, I want as many paths to victory as possible because that's how you get victory. But I'm going to tell myself that Iowa isn't essential. <laughs> Sorry, Iowa. Love you dearly. Well, I've never been to you. So we love you, Iowa, but no. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I have the same reaction. Okay, we don't need to win Iowa. That's fine. I, the Senate seat. I'm also, surprised. It has far, far too many vowels in it. <laughs> Iowa. Um, the Senate seat would be useful for sure. Um, and the Senate path is going to be really close no matter what happens. So Teresa Greenfield winning the Senate would have been really helpful. Um, and to be honest, I'm not sure how much reliance I place on this poll, considering that the same poll in September showed a very different outcome. I, I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure we're winning, but I doubt it's, I doubt Trump is ahead by seven in Iowa, but who knows? Who knows? I just hope it's the the worst fear, the anxiety that we all have gnawing at the at the bottom of our hearts. I think is is a midwestern swing away from Democrats, right? The upper Midwest, and so the real fear is because Iowa is very close to Wisconsin, very demographically similar to a lot of other states in the upper Midwest, is that if this poll, which is traditionally very reliable, is signaling any kind of swing away from Democrats in the upper Midwest, then that would be very concerning. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that there are very few undecided voters left. Yeah. And they may well break to Trump. Um, I said this before, they did last time around. But because they're so small in number, it doesn't matter that much because mm. people who've made up their mind and quite possibly have already voted. That is, in fact, the next uh, hopeful thing that I've pulled out of my hat. So the the hopeful fact I've pulled out is that nationwide, 3% of likely voters are undecided compared to about 11% at this point in 2016. So much of what happened in 2016 was as a result of late, late deciders breaking away from Clinton, that that makes me feel, I don't know if it even necessarily changes my feeling about the outcome of the election, but it just makes me feel like there's less uncertainty than in the past. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I mean, I've kind of preempted you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're spot on. That's something I've been thinking about a lot. So that's that's a good one. Um, okay, here's a scary one in the fearful column. Uh, so that seems appropriate. Um, the Biden campaign was forced to cancel an event in Texas this weekend after a caravan of cars with Trump signs on them surrounded the campaign bus and appeared to try to force a vehicle driven by a Biden volunteer off the road. Jesus Christ. They're not, yeah. are they? No. Um, They're not. I mean, I think there has to be, if Biden wins, then there need to be new laws around protecting democracy. I think that might have to be project one. Mm. Um, oh, well, okay, project one is, is um, sort of a pandemic, but um, I just, democracy in America is so broken and so revered at the same time. And I just don't see how you can hold those two things in your head at once. But I think it's, the problem is, it's not just about new laws to pass democracy. I mean, the specific incident I'm talking about, this caravan was escorted by the police. I mean, the, the, there was a police presence there and they took no action. Um, so we also have a problem with institutions being corrupted. And so that's like, and that's actually the good news on that is 
that that's a thing we can address at a, you know, like individual states can address that problem. Biden can address, you know, institutional corruption within the federal law enforcement bureaucracy, except like he can deal with, um, you know, ICE agents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So like there are ways of dealing with this that don't require legislation, but we need to really confront the fact that there is a mob mentality in much of this country and it's dangerous. And I, I don't think it's a majority. I think it's a small minority, but they're really flipping noisy and they're really flipping dangerous. Yeah, a small minority of angry people with guns is pretty powerful. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> militia is a militia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, here, let's do let's do a hopeful one. Um, a New York Times Siena poll found, which by the way, incidentally, as a side note, also found that Biden had a lead in in all of the critical Midwest critical swing states, but that's not the factoid I'm pulling out here. A New York Times Siena poll published this weekend found that Biden is significantly ahead among voters who did not vote in the 2016 election, and that these voters make up a substantial portion of the electorate. That's really interesting, because those are the voters that Trump have been trying to add to his base. Yep. Uh, that you know Trump's strategy if he has one I mean you know he's kind of hard to tell but the strategy <laughs> has mostly been to rile up his base and add to that base through non previous non-voters yep that, so that. yeah that's fascinating yeah, I mean, we don't know. I don't know much about who these new voters are. Some of them presumably will be young voters yeah. and who may not even have been eligible in 2016. Um, some of them may be the famous suburban women who, you know, may not have voted at all, but but are now Hillary kind of newly active. Hillary, but would vote for Biden. Yeah, yeah, could be. Yeah. But that's that's great news, and you know, it's great news anyway because I'm I'm always happy when new voters swing Democrat. That's just great. So good. Um, here's a fearful one. Oh, yeah, this is something that that I've been trying to understand the reasons why this is true. But early vote turnout in Pennsylvania is lower than in a lot of other states, just 38.4% have cast their ballots already. Um, uh, for, for reference, I think about Nationwide, I think about 50% of, we're at about 50% of the 2016 turnout in early yeah, votes. That's not great news, is it? Because it <laughs> tends to be Democrats voting early. Yes, it is not great news. And I don't know, I don't know what it means. I don't know how to interpret it. Um, no. Mean, I don't know what their rules are, whether they make it harder or. Yeah, I mean, early votes been kind of a mess in Pennsylvania, I think. I mean, one thing to consider is this today, right now, this is the final Sunday before the election. Traditionally, a lot of the African-American community in uh, in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, they tend to vote on this Sunday. So um, we might see a, a, you know, we might see further, further improvements there. I don't know. Um, souls to the polls. But um, yeah, I'd like those, I'd like that number to be higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. <laughs> just sit with our fear no let's do something hopeful yes. um here's a hopeful one um late polling shifts have been moving slightly in biden's direction in the states of georgia and ohio uh i mean yeah as i say i'm finding this kind of new south fascinating um and very very appealing not least because yeah. I like the country music, but I want to hang out with, uh, with blue necks. 
<laughs> Blue necks. I love it. Let's let's make that a thing. <laughs> Bunch of blue necks. Yeah, Georgia, Georgia is a state, of course, Stacey Abrams, you know, of whom this pod is a is a huge fan, um, has been doing great work out of Georgia. And and I'm hope like well, one thing I would love to see after this election is whether we can trace the impact of her her good work on Fair Fight. Um, because I you know, I know that she's been doing some fantastic organizing and, and I hope that uh, I hope that that's having some difference. But winning, winning Georgia would be great. I mean, Georgia's like North Carolina. It's one of those states that I feel it's long-term demographic trends are going in our direction. So, all right, should we do one more of each? One more of each. Right. Okay, Scare here's- Karen. Sorry? <laughs> Scare the pants off me. Scare the pants off you. Uh, okay, here's, here's a scary one. <laughs> Sorry. In North Carolina on Saturday, police pepper sprayed protesters participating in a march um, that were heading to the polling places to cast their vote, including children, a five-year-old and an 11-year-old child were, were pepper sprayed on their march. Your police are mental. Right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I think, God bloody hell. I, I mean- just, That's not law and order. That's neither law nor order. It is both illegal and well out of order. Well out of order. Well out of order. I'm. <laughs> you can see my British passport coming through. Yeah, I I posted on Twitter and I stand by this. This is some Jim Crow bullshit. Yeah. Right. Like literally gassing uh, voters on their way to bl gassing black voters on the way to the polls is exactly what we exactly. would have expected in 1959 in the Jim Crow South. It is not the yeah like. It is not acceptable. It's just not on. And did they get to the polls? Well, a lot of them were arrested. So no. Fucking hell, what were they arrested for? For assembly. <laughs> like they were, it was, an, it, was, constitution. it was an organized rally. Um, they, you know, they, they, and the police were there um, you know, as pre-agreed, they were there to provide security, etc. And at some point, the police ordered the protesters to get out of the street, um, which, you know, they, fair enough, you know, they need to disperse, they need to not be blocking traffic. But they immediately started pepper spraying them before giving them a chance to move back onto the sidewalks including, like I say, ch uh, a number of children. Um, and then when people, um, you know, and then when things kind of, yeah, and, and, and then they wound up arresting a number of protesters. And it was a completely peaceful rally, like I should say, there was no, no sign of it. Like it was no, it, they, they were, it was people out there with their children to go vote. This is not a threat to public safety. Um, and the, the, the North Carolina Sheriff's Department should be absolutely like, ashamed of itself and frankly should be in jail yeah absolutely then heads should roll heads should roll absolutely um you know the only the only other side of that is i just feel like the the all hail the african-american community like they are wonderful at responding in large numbers um to any attempt to take their votes away from them so i just hope that they will that like they will be able to get to the polls um and and in numbers too big to ignore yeah absolutely 100%. right shall we do a final hopeful one yes let's see i'm just gonna pick and choose so we can 
Karen, give me hope. Karen, give me hope. Karen, before <laughs> the election comes. <laughs> okay, here's one. The 538 model um, gives Democrats about a 76 in 100 chance of taking the Senate. Um, I mean, yeah, and absolutely bloody right. It shouldn't be even that close because Mitch McConnell has absolutely shat all over that institution. Fuck Mitch. <clears throat> yeah. Um, no, I, and, I, and sadly, he's not going to lose his own seat, but I want to see him lose his bloody power. <laughs> I just, that man is so loathsome. And, and he just has no belief system other than power for Mitch McConnell. Yeah, well, power for power for Republicans generally, but yes, himself personally as well. Yeah, I just, he's yeah, a nasty piece of work. Democracy around the Supreme Court is just yeah. disgusting. I think the Supreme Court. I mean, that's one thing we haven't talked about again, which is a, another scary story: is what is the court going to do? But I think Amy Coney Barrett's nomination, if it does nothing else, it does this. We don't have to, like, it is clear the mask is off, right? Like, Republicans are no longer pretending to act in good faith, yeah, yeah. and we should operate accordingly. Like, if their policy is we will use whatever power we have to push through whatever outcome we want in the court, then fine. That's the world we're playing in. I would have rather had some kind of slightly more collegial, cooperative approach, but fine. We will then take whatever power we have to ram through whatever we can because apparently that's how we roll now so be it and that yeah I just, the court sure it, it doesn't seem to do them any fucking harm so why should it do us any right like fine whatever so be it that's how you want to roll that's how we'll roll <laughs> i mean look bottom line Joe Biden is currently leading in the swing state polls in Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Wisconsin, Michigan, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and New Hampshire. Um, now, I don't think do they add up to most of them. <laughs> <laughs> like honestly, if we won all the like, we're not going to win all those states. That's just not going to happen. But we don't have to win all those states. Um, you know, we are. There are a number of different paths that Joe Biden has to get to the presidency. He can lose Pennsylvania and still win by winning Arizona and, and, and Michigan and, and, um, and, and Wisconsin. He can lose Florida and still win by picking up the upper Midwest. West. You know, he can lose both of those states and still, you know, pick up Arizona, pick up North Carolina. Like there are a lot of ways he can get there. And meanwhile, Trump has a very, 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 hard road to hoe like he needs to basically win everywhere that he's targeting so you know i feel good about our chances but i feel bad about the election basically is what it comes down to yeah yeah i'm just not going to breathe easy until there's a result and if there's the wrong result then maybe never again yeah <laughs> like breathing breathing is a thing of the past yeah. oh i have to tell you who is it um demi lovato she put out a song um called commander in chief have you come across it no me and current music is not there. well it's freaking amazing because it's like it's a basically a an anti-trump song um but check it out because it's it's first of all it's really stuck in my head it's a lovely song but then she's also got this this line which is just devastating where she's like the whole song's addressed to trump and she's like what does it feel like to still be able to breathe and i was like oh god yeah <laughs> like because we just can't breathe as a country can we like yeah. 
you know, I, I can't breathe is a, a been a Black Lives Matter slogan. It's also, you know, with yeah, coronavirus, breathing feels so dangerous. Like we literally just can't breathe. Like also I had to have a COVID test this week because uh, I couldn't breathe very well. <laughs> and Emma's cough and I'm fine. <laughs> Emma is COVID negative. You'll all be glad to know. Very, very pleased to say. Yes. And okay. and to be fair, because it gets a lot of stick, I the app, I did it through the app and it was really I got a code test within an hour. And the results a day and a half later. So, um, you know, well done, NHS. God love you. But that's the thing. Corona is, Corona cases are on the rise all across the United States and especially in the upper Midwest. So that's going to have a big impact on things, things as well. You know, I just, we just need, we need to breathe again. Like we need, Joe Biden buys us the space to be able to take a deep breath as a country and, you know, find a way forward. And, uh, Trump's just going to steal the breath right out from under us. Yep. Right. Emma, what are you doing on election night? Well, I have to work the very next morning. Um, I'm training, so I have to be really on it. Um, my plan at the moment, I think, is to go to bed really early on Tuesday, knock myself out with a sleeping tablet, and then get up maybe about four or five o'clock. Right. Um, and start watching it then and watch it until I have to train. Right. I will be, I will also be going to bed very early, but I'll be getting up earlier than you because I have to, I'm hosting a Democrats Abroad event from 1 to 2 a.m. And uh, so it's an all night Democrats Abroad event, but I'll be hosting it uh, in the wee small hours of the morning. And then I've got my own Discord server, which I will uh, commend to the listeners of this pod. All who want to join are welcome. We'll, we'll be chatting our way through the night. Now, bear in mind, there may, need, there may be no results, uh, no final outcome. So we'll keep that conversation going for as long as we need to until there's an outcome. But all are welcome to join us on that conversation. I'll put the uh, I'll put the link in the show notes of this episode, and I will also uh, pin it to the top of my Twitter feed. So, all of you between now and then, I hope you uh, no sleep till Brooklyn, right? Like, stay, keep keep doing what you got to do. Make your final calls, make your final votes. Wake up your family members and make sure they vote. Like, just do what you got to do. Um, Tuesday's not that far away. It really isn't. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> oh, this is the end. My Karen. We've lost it. We've lost it. We've officially lost it. Thank you, everyone. We haven't had one drink. I just want all of you, all of you to know. Emma are in separate houses with no wine. We're just not, our, not our usual style. Let's face it's it. Not, not our usual Emma. We're just drunk on elections. <laughs> <laughs> right love to you all talk to you after the big day see you guys and that's it listen thank you for all the time that you spent with me in this podcast over the past two years my goodness how time has crept slowly by um it's hard to believe that we're finally at the the moment of reckoning but it has meant a lot to me to have you with me on that journey whether you've joined the podcast uh a lot over the last few weeks or whether you've been with me all the way since the very beginning in november of 2000 oh gosh november 2018 yes that is when i started um it's 
been fantastic and I really appreciate you and appreciate your time. I would love to hear from you. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Karen Jarrow, that's K-A-R-I-N-J-R on Twitter, or you can of course join my election night live chat, which is happening on Discord. The link to that will go in the show notes of this episode and will also be pinned to the top of my Twitter feed. Um, if you haven't already voted, I can't imagine what you're doing. Get get yourself out there and cast your vote. Um, I'm sure almost everyone listening to the sound of my voice now has already got their vote in and has validated it. But just in case you have not, make sure you've cast your ballot. Make sure that you have, if you sent an absentee ballot, that you have follow, followed it up and verified it and make sure that it has been received by your voting center and counted. Um, This podcast is not associated with or affiliated with any other organization or entity. It is just me here all alone wishing you a very happy election day.